Now, if we hang around very much, you'll find out in a little bit there might be some southernisms that come out. They're not for show. They just I can't help it. When you've got a couple of Georgia kids who grew up just right below Atlanta, I'm from the hometown of Gone with the Wind, whatever that means. And uh, if you were to Google it, you'd see my hometown is the unofficial uh, uh, hometown of Gone with the Wind. So if some southernisms come out or, or suburbanisms. We're a couple of suburban kids and they've lived in urban areas. We served in a rural area last time, but we lived in the suburbs. What I'm trying to say is you'll figure out at some point that I ain't from around here. And this is where everybody goes, we sing the doxology, right? <laughs> Thank you, Lord. He's not from around here. Um, there is something about being from a place. Um, and it's something about going in to visit and getting a tour from a true local, right? Uh, we were to, when we go visit churches, we like to ask people, you know, where's a good, true, local place to eat? Chains are fine, but is there a, you know, we ate at Key Largo last night. Uh, it's actually our second time eating there because Trish, Anita, took us there, uh, one of our visits here before, and it's just a good local place. There's something about being from a place. And there's something about not being from a place where you are reminded regularly that you ain't from around here. My wife and I lived in Brooklyn, New York for a while. We were reminded constantly, particularly by my youth group, that we weren't from around there. I learned that McDonald's is supposed to be uh, pronounced McDonald's, right? Until we moved, and now it's McDonald's again. You may have lived in Lance area all of your life, but I am willing to, I was going to say bet, but we don't, right? Yeah, yeah we're going to go with that. I can't do any better than that. I'm pretty sure that you may feel increasingly the way the world, the culture has changed, that you even begin to feel like you ain't from around here anymore. And everywhere I make that statement, I see heads doing this. It's not about the last election or last two or three elections. There's been a cultural shift that we've felt, or maybe we're just now figuring out had always been there. It's more to the fore. And though you may have always lived around these parts, you increasingly say, where, where am I anymore? I don't feel like I even belong down here anymore. Well, I've got some good news for us this morning. You're in phenomenally good company, and God has a word for us kind of people. We are, in fact, exiles, sojourners. We don't belong around here. Even if you've been here all of your life, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, and Bonnie, you could not have done a more perfect job with your testimony this morning. Okay, I shouldn't have referenced this because i got to stop and cry for 10 minutes. My dear friend, what a wonderful job you did explaining what Jesus has done in your life. And we rejoice in that with you and celebrate not just your first birth that led to 70 years, thank God, but your new birth that's evidence in you. I bet you went back to Jersey and New York area where you were born. You go, I ain't from around here. And then you come here and say, I am from around here, but I'm not because look how things have changed. Because if you have had a second birth in Jesus by trusting in him as your Lord and Savior, you ain't from around here anymore. Wherever you are, you ain't from around there anymore. Now, you may be there and rooted, and you ought to be, and engaged. But all the same, you're now, a citizenship is shifted to now one of being in, of heaven. And now you are a foreigner wherever you live. And we are exiles. 
So Peter writes his book to us kind of people. He writes, in fact, listen to the very first uh, verses of what Peter writes here. Peter, I'm in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. And then he talks about big areas here. Those in Pontius and these exiles in Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter is writing to people that who, because they have put their faith in the Lord, Jesus Christ, and claimed Jesus as Lord, not Caesar as Lord, who have claimed Jesus as their Messiah in the midst of a very Jewish context of their family, their home, and their culture, now have been kicked out of where they're from. They have suffered exile. We've seen this with Ukraine recently, the news, the 10 million plus people internally, externally displaced in the Ukraine because of what's happened there with the uh, invasion that's occurred. And people now suddenly, out of 44 million people, one out of four almost, have been displaced. And they're having to live in a new place with new language, new culture, new people, new all kinds of things. Peter's writing to those kind of folks who are displaced because of a spiritual kingdom that, that is displacing them. And their faith in Jesus has cost them to have to be scattered in the foreknowledge of God so the gospel could be spread. So Peter is writing to these kind of folks. And we're not there yet, thank God. And whether we are getting there to, as believers in this country or not, we can discuss that. But spiritually, we are not at home. We're sojourners. And so Peter, by God's grace through the Spirit, has a word for us of people, God's people, who are still to be on mission as engaged exiles. And that's my word to you today. As we increasingly feel the external pressure to kind of form holy huddles and to shut up and be safe, need to be wise and discerning and gathering together even all the more as we see the day drawing near. But then we break huddle and go back out into the world and we are engaged as exiles on mission for God. And Peter tells us some of what that's like. I'm going to read for us our passage here today, 1 Peter 9, uh, 2, 9 through 12. He's writing to people that weren't people, but now they are. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good works and glorify God on the day of visitation. When I was a kid, I got called out a lot. Now, that might be a southern phrase, but maybe you experienced this too, particularly at school. The principal enjoyed spending time with me, and right in the middle of a class session, I would get called out to spend time one-on-one -on -one with the principal in the office. 
Oh, what, oh, I'm putting a positive spin on this, right? I think he missed me. We'd go weeks sometimes. He'd be doing really good, and suddenly he'd have an aching to have a personal conversation with Carrie. It was delightful, I think. I may have caused him to get hazard pay. I don't know. I was just kind of rascally, right? Right? I wasn't that bad of a kid. I really actually just may be unbelievable. Um, as a kid, when you get called out, it wasn't necessarily a good thing. When the Bible tells us we get called out, it's the exact opposite of that. Uh, it's a good thing. Peter tells us in this passage that by the grace of God, uh, because of our being alienated from God and because of what Jesus has done, by his grace and by his mercy, he has called us to himself and he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And now he wants us to be those who, in his light, call back into the darkness and tell them about God. It really is that simple. He's called us out to call back in to tell them about who did this great thing for us and he can do that same great thing for them. So Peter gives us four things that are conduct for the called out. First, you need to embrace your new identity. And aren't we tired of hearing about identity, right? You can identify as anything. Uh, you, you, know, you put on the right kind of shirts and you can identify as a Penn State uh, fan. Uh, now ask John about that later. If he's in the parking lot, don't honk John. But your story, he's, anyway, ask him his story about being alumni who doesn't really identify as a Penn State guy. And, and he, anyway, people identify as anything. Let me tell you, if you're confused about any part of your identity, maybe it's because of just, you know, identify as someone who's a believer and then I see my own conduct and say, wow, I'm not sure about that. If you have trusted Jesus and he has called you and you've responded by grace, you have a new identity. You're one of God's chosen people. The language here is staggering. You know, imagine a Gentile growing up around Jews, and the Jews have told them all their lives, we're the chosen people, we're the apple of his eye, we're his holy nation. We are all of that, and you ain't. And suddenly, the offer is extended to anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord and can be saved. And now we get to be called, of all things, a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. This is not a geopolitical thing. This is not Israel then. It's not America now. This is about the people of God. His people brought together as a nation from all of the nations. A holy nation. Cleaned up cups. We're a people for his own possession. If you struggle with knowing who you are in God's eyes, may I have the joy of reminding you this morning, you're His. And it's His doing. And by grace, he doesn't, there's no undoing there. Look at how you can identify today. It's like a new Israel. We've been called out to be called in to be part of His people. I bet some of you can help me finish part of this song. We're only going to sing a little bit. Be ready? Sing along with Uncle Kerry. Here we go. Praise him, praise him. Tell of his... Oh my. Okay. I do this in multiple churches in the district. You win. 
Yeah, tell of his excellent greatness. I don't know who wrote the song, but they stole the lyrics from right here. Thankfully. Tell, praise him. Tell of God's excellent greatness. You know, beginning thing of what it means? Uh, Abe's doing a good job in Sunday school. We've got one more week. Get here early and, and uh, catch the last part of how to be a witness for Jesus. And it, it just really boils down to telling people about the greatness of God. Right? If you got a brand new car, man, you could tell somebody all about that thing because it's the coolest, greatest, and whatever. Right? God has called us to himself, and we know who we were and who we weren't, and he's made us his children. So do you know that God is good? I mean, we'll just tell somebody. Hey, tell me about God. He's good. Do you know that he is gracious? And you look in the mirror and say, oh, man, he's gracious. You tell him, say, look, not only is it good, but he loves even the likes of me. Do you know that he's holy? You tell him that. That he created the heavens and the earth, but he still knows us and calls us by name. And none of us have gotten lost in the shuffle. You just tell people that. It's true of them as well. He knows them. A bird can't draw from the sky or a tree without him knowing it. And they're more important than little bitty birds that are just worth a nickel or a dime in the market. Your father counts them more important and birds, and the proof is, you know, the, the proof of that is that God sent his only son to die on the cross for our sins. And so you just tell people, say, man, I know he loves you. That's why we have this cross obsession as Christians. It's not just a, a decorative thing we do to look cool. It's meaningful symbol. It tells me that God is still demonstrating his love for you because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know that? Do you know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? Say with me that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You just tell people that. That's remarkably deep, wonderful, rich, biblical, God-honoring truth and theology. You have been called out by God to embrace your new identity as a person, his people on mission, calling back in of his Excellent greatness. And then know your place. And I heard that as a kid too. It might be in the southernism, I don't know. Hey, boy, know your place. And they weren't saying, welcome to the club. <laughs> it's kind of like, hey, this is not your place. You felt that increasingly in this culture, haven't you? Really, for us as believers... We're kind of coming out of denial. We have thought we really fit in, belonged here because the nation has this Christian heritage and we felt like we kind of fit here. But the truth is, whatever nation we're a part of, we're secondary citizens. Our primary citizenship is in heaven. So really, it's really know your place or lack thereof. If someone's an alien to a land, they're not from around there, you're an alien. If someone is a stranger to a place... You're not from around there. Even if you've lived it, you're a stranger. If someone is a sojourner just passing through, and that's who we are, that's why you don't feel at home anymore here. Maybe we've falsely felt more at home than we ought to have. And maybe it's a good thing that we're being consistently reminded that, man, this ain't my home anymore. Wonderful. And you know what? I don't mean this in any way light, but go ahead and grieve that. If you've not embraced 
the homesick feeling for heaven and the sadness that you don't feel at home in your home anymore, grieve that. Seriously. Because that means you're facing the reality that wherever you are as a child of God, heaven's your home. This isn't. So that might be sad for us. Does Jesus know what that feels like? He came unto his own, and his own threw him a big party. And they said, wow, welcome back. And you say, no, no, we know the Bible a little better than that. What's John write about Jesus? He came unto the things that were his very own, and his very own did not receive him not. Received him not. Jesus knows what it's like to be part of a family that thinks, well, literally, they thought Jesus was crazy. You remember the story? You had a big crowd of folks teaching, and the circle of the disciples here and all around. His family couldn't even get to him. They sent a message and said, could you tell him to come on out because we'd like to take him home. We don't know if he, food's got to him or he's got sunstruck or something, but we, he's out of his mind and we'd like to take him home to protect him and save the family name. Could you tell our boy to get out here? And Jesus said, to him, I, I really will tell you who my family is. It's those who do the will of God. His own family. Some of you have come to know Jesus, and he has made you, if you've come to know Jesus, you're a new creature. Sometimes it's more evident than others because of the external junk, right? Some of you have laid aside, you know, immoral living of all sorts, and some of your families are kind of glad for that, but they kind of still begrudge that you walk with Jesus. It's an amazing thing. You would think they'd be only ecstatic that you're not doing that junk you used to that disrupted your whole family. And all they seem to communicate to you is is keep that stuff to yourself. Quit shoving Jesus down our throat. I learned a a phrase in our church in Marion. One of the guys said, um, people who are kind of too forceful with evangelism, they call it shoving the dove. I'd never heard that before. I I probably shouldn't enjoy it, but it's very picturesque, isn't it? Shoving the dove. Don't shove the dove. Some of your family members... It's amazing. They remind you. Yeah, you're, not, you're a stranger here. Jesus can relate. In fact, we can call upon the one who we come to Jesus. He's the living stone. He's, he was rejected by men. He was chosen by God and precious to him. Jesus knew rejection. So when you feel the pain of having to, when you choose to walk with Jesus and people walk away from you and it does hurt and you know your place or lack thereof, you can take that to Jesus. He's not going to shame you for feeling that way. He's going to say, I know, I understand. On the cross, his closest friends fled. He gets it. And you feel lonely. We're not home yet, Stephen Curtis Chapman saying, we're not home yet. It is the great adventure, but we're not home yet. What's the conduct for the called out? Know your new identity. Know your place or lack thereof. And then say no to sinful desires. One of the things that happens, we come to know Jesus and we, start, we have new eyes and we see stuff that used to thrill us that now uh, disgust us. We see stuff that used to humor us that is now appalling to us and to God. 
and we want to kind of go out and we want to start speaking against all kinds of stuff and sin. And Peter says, hey, let me tell you where you probably should start. Before you start grabbing a microphone and denouncing all of their sin, how about we start, first grab a mirror and deal with your own stuff? Nah, it's a whole lot easier to talk about their stuff, right? <laughs> right? It's a whole lot easier just to be, just kind of get on Facebook and blast them all. Whether it's those kids today or whatever. Oh, and oh, by the way, people love getting punched by the nose by, by, in the nose by Christians. No. Who does? We've tried the enraged exile bit. It ain't working. We want to be engaged exiles. And we engage first with starting with humility and saying... Can you believe the junk that's still in here? Can you believe all the stuff in the cup still? See, that reminds me, one, of my need for his righteousness, which he's given. It also reminds me of my need for humility. Because I, I do feel distinct from the world, but that's the doing of God. But I, I sadly can still... Re Relate. Somebody's struggling with addiction stuff. Well, I may not have that kind of addiction, but I got, all, I got desires of me that still... I came to know the Lord when I was seven or eight. How am I still, still dealing with this stuff? Am I the only one in here who's been walking with Jesus for almost 50 years and still is embarrassed by the junk inside? <sighs> it keeps me dependent. It should keep me humble. It should keep me, keep me fighting for ongoing growth through the Word, through the people of God. It keeps me able to relate to anything out there. Paul writes, he goes, man, you, the world does these things, but hey, don't get big-headed because and such were some of you. But you were washed. I didn't have anything to do with that. You were redeemed. I didn't have anything to do with that. My new standing is never based on me. The only thing I needed, the only thing I contributed to salvation was my need for it. And so I need to look inside. And the junk that's in there, I need, in fact, it's, it's, it, this is, assumes a vigorous temptation from within, hand-to-hand -hand combat with my sin nature. Keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against the soul. Abstain. They wage war. Football season, right? It's coming up. I tell people the district goes from Penn State to Ohio State. Boy, here they are, right there, the Buckeye boys and girls. And the rest of us, the Penn State people. And Matt goes, football? Sportsing? Those big guys, 250, 300, 350 pounders, right? Line up against each other. Someone says Omaha or something and then snap. They give them a piece of leather and then 500-pound collisions, 600-pound collisions happen right there, right? One of the ways that Peter or Paul describes in Galatians the battle we have against our sinful junk is we set ourselves in opposition to God or in, and we need to instead, instead of indulging in the fruit of of the flesh need to give way to the fruit of the Spirit. So there's this pitched combat. This is not peewee flag football inside. A cute little battle. This is hard-hitting stuff 
of my sin nature wanting to me, render me useless, so full of guilt and shame that I'm not going to call back into the darkness. Or when I do call into, they go, oh, and you are who? We are to say no to our sinful desires. Hey, and by the way, it's both discouraging to un- younger believers and encouraging to young believers to know that some of us old heads are still dealing with junk in our lives. So we need to be honest about that. Let me, here's why, okay? There's some 30-year-olds in here who walk with Jesus and look up to the 60, 70-year-olds in here and say, I can't wait to be that age and never have to struggle with these matters again. I heard a chuckle of, <laughs> of a reality. We need to prepare them to say it's a lifelong battle. By God's grace, it can get easier and better in certain areas and then something else will crop up. And then you watch the news one more time. <laughs> then you pick up the newspaper one more time or then you just look in the mirror or you're just running late again one more time. Younger believers, I tell you that not to discourage you, but to ask that you should go with freedom to older believers and say, I bet you probably can relate. You don't have to answer that. Could you please pray for me because I'm still struggling with this. Hey, and older believers, we could do that as well. We could go to some of our younger believers in Christ and say, could I, 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 I could use your prayer. I don't want to say specifically what it is or, or it's this. Could you pray for me about that? I am tired of dealing with that. But in the process of when we deal with our sins with, in community and with humility, God does something, I think, additional in us. There's an ongoing sanctification and I think a hum- humility that then makes us even more relatable when we go back into the world. We're never in any way touting our own greatness. We're telling of His excellent greatness. That He is still patient, even with the likes of someone like me. So conduct for the called out. Embrace your new identity. God's chosen people on mission. Know your place or lack thereof. Say no to your, start with saying no to your sinful desires. And then, then, well, then go out and live a good Christian life. You don't start by grabbing the microphone. You grab the, the shovel, the towel and basin. You you live such good lives right there among the pagans, convincingly Christians. Engaged exiles. Uh, I love your tank tent. How many churches have a tent they set up that was for tank repairs? I, I think that's cool. I think what's even better is that you, somebody in this church who has the connection with that Boy Scout troop, that owns that tent. And that this church has a strong, good relationship with a Boy Scout troop through some ones in this church to be engaged, loving, and supportive and encouraging back to them and thankful in a public way. Your car crew is coming up this Saturday. How fun is that? Who doesn't want a fun event to come to? I think there's free hot dogs. I got plans, buddy. Otherwise, I'd be hanging out all week. Thank you, Lord. He's leaving. Okay. Um, Angela's coming. What a neat friend. What a great, great gal. Enjoy her. 
she'll enjoy you. But you're, you're inviting folks. Hey, come on, enjoy the cars, enjoy your know, prizes and games. I love your ark park. I always want to call it an aardvark. Your ark park. <laughs> For aunts and uncles, the aardvark, right? What a powerful, simple way of saying we love our community. Come on, you're welcome. You've even this year, this, every Wednesday I think it is, ramped it up and organized in a very, you know, still low-key, wonderful way of being on mission to utilize that. On campus, off campus, at work. People find out some big news story and the next morning they're baiting you to find your response to how you're going to respond to this thing. Instead of getting inflamed like everyone else, you're centered in Jesus. You're concerned about what's happening there, but you're not going to lose your ability to speak to Jesus because you get so sucked into passionate things that aren't eternal because you're obsessed with the eternal. Living convincingly Christian lives. And you know what that'll get you? <laughs> Lied about. Don't you love the, the wonderful beauty? Thank you, Peter, for that reminder. Though you live such, he said, live such good lives so that when they speak against you as evildoers. I'm sorry, say that part again. Live such good lives so that when they speak against you as evildoers. Matt and I have a lot in common. One of us, we don't do math. We leave that to other people. This math don't add up. I don't have to do math. This math doesn't add up. I'm living, my, I'm living a godly Christian life, and they're calling me all kinds of, they're, they're lying about me. You know, that adds up. Gee, he came unto his own, his own received him not. Only one person ever got it all completely perfect. It got him killed. Why do we expect living like Jesus is going to get us laurels and wreaths? It'll get you slander. It's promised. Here's, you want to claim a promise from God? Here's your promise for the day. Lord, I'm claiming the promise. The more I live for you, the more they're going to abuse me. Amen. Yeah, that's true. In this world, you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Be of good cheer. So when they speak again, so they find out, where do you go to church? Lance Evangelical. Oh, you're one of those evangelicals. I know about your kind. Y'all hate these kind of people, and you hate those kind of people. Oh, I've read all about you. Before you get a chance to let them know or display your love for them, they're making assumptions about you. So we can withdraw and get angry and strike back, or we say, tough sledding here, but I get to outlive my detractors. I get the, ch I, know what, I know what the soil's like. And by God's grace, we're going to keep tilling, planting, and watering until he calls me on the other soil or says shake the dust off. But if I'm in this person's life and they think that of me, I get to act so much like Jesus that after a while they go, wait a minute, you're a friend of sinners. I thought you hated those kind of people, but I saw you were friends with him or her. You're kind of confusing me here. Folks, wonderful news. The world's assuming a lot of horrible things about you. Great! We get to be so contrary to their assumptions, it'll shock them. How cool is that? That's not a negative, that's a positive. So they're assuming the worst, they're speaking trash about you, but you know what happens, they watch your life, they get a phone call, and there's somebody in the family who's got a crisis, they come to your door and say, you pray, right? 
Many of you have had this happen. They treat you like dirt at work or in the extended family, but when there's a crisis that comes up, who do they call? Who do they lean on? And, and, and our flesh at that moment can say, oh, no. No, no. After what you've done, and we go, no, Lord Jesus, they have abused and lied about me, but you understand this. Help me now, Lord Jesus, to say, forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. And to love them. Be convincingly Christian. That's what it means to live like Christ. Abused people who keep heaping love on folks. Right in the middle of when they're treating you worse. Expect accusation. Follow the example of Jesus. You're looking forward to going back to work tomorrow now, right? (laughs) Well, we should. That area in which we find they've rejected us and rejected Jesus and maybe they've not given us a fair shake we keep wanting to shine yeah that'd make a really good song wouldn't it about something about this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine they've not heard it I can pretend I made this up I'm not gonna hide watch this one I'm gonna not hide it under a bushel basket that's a good add-on right Uh, let it shine till Jesus come they've heard this maybe family bible week or somewhere along the way this little light of mine I'm going to let it shine hide it because I'm afraid and no no shine it brighter even though I'm still though I'm afraid I will trust in thee it may cost you you may work in a situation where they find out your beliefs about certain things and they cannot will not promote you they may never say why but they assume you're going to mistreat a whole section of population because of your convictions, and so therefore, or they call you into human resources. You may not get uh, uh, promotion. You could get hindered. You kind of get blackballed. Well, you believe this, therefore X. It's not fair. And Jesus says, I know, it's not fair. Ask God to forgive them and just keep loving them to the very end. Tertullian, 200 A.D., says, It's our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of our many opponents. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. Early Christians were known for going into when there were diseases and caring for people, even if it cost them their lives, and it often did. Early Christians were known for going and taking, rescuing abandoned babies. We don't want a girl. We don't want another kid. Rescuing abandoned babies and raising them as their very own. Early Christians were known for going to the helpless and taking care of them, of, of, the, of, of strangers, of aliens and who were being shunned and showing them the love of Jesus. Not necessarily debating the political aspects of why someone's here, but saying, guys, by God's grace, this person is here. I get to show them the love of Jesus. And then finding out some of them know Jesus, and they get to teach me a thing or two as well. In your uh, notes there, in the, um, your bulletin, worship guy, what do you call this thing? Bulletin, okay. 
Why did I have to make that complicated? At the very bottom there, it's a gift. At the very bottom, there's a verse there from Jesus that would make a really cool song. I might have mentioned it already. Let's say this. Let's, let's read this verse out loud together a couple of times, please. Okay, in the same way? This is Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, teaching his disciples. In the same way, let your light shine before others that may, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's read that again. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Lance Free Church, thank you for being on mission. May I urge and nudge you to stay on mission. As it becomes increasingly comfortable to withdraw and be quiet, we want to engage all the more. Find every civic opportunity that's looking for volunteers and infiltrate. If you've got people in this church who are already helping in civic organizations, find out who they are. How can you help support them so they know this person has got a team behind them? Little leagues and scouts or whatever it would be in this community that you would say, wow, we could help support them. And be there in the name of Jesus. Not only on things that when people come to us, but then when we go to them in the name of Jesus and we call out to them of the greatness of God. And by God's grace, they can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved.